Welcome to This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 25 years. I'm a life coach, fantasy author, and engineer. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. Hi, I'm Jesse Tugney, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 10 years now. I'm currently a student at Montana State and learning more and more about how our world works. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, feature members of the type 1 community who are just like you, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 142 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, I'm sharing in detail how I took a solo road trip that spanned 4,000 miles across 12 days. Jesse didn't join me for this one, so I have a win, a fail, and a tip all related to the road trip. My win is that my first day of driving, I had a double unicorn. By the time I reached my aunt and uncle's in Wyoming, my blood glucose was 100 mgdl, and I was 100% in range. The other really great win was deciding ahead of time that I wasn't going to worry about planning my food meticulously in advance, nor worry about weighing myself. So I left my travel scale at home, and I ate when I was hungry, still sticking mostly low carbs since that's the kind of food that I enjoy. For my fail, I would say the main diabetes fails from this trip were some of the highs and the lows that I had. Right after my double unicorn, I just straight up forgot to give insulin for dinner. So I went pretty high and then overcorrected, which led to a crash overnight. My sleep quality overall during the trip was much lower than usual, and I'm pretty sure that contributed to some of the harder-to-control numbers. My hack is for long trips like this one, and for anything really that's out of the ordinary from your routine, it is so helpful to be flexible. Getting mad at yourself for unexpected blood sugars because you forgot to do something or you gave too much insulin doesn't help your mood. I made a conscious effort to embrace flexibility during this trip, doing things I normally wouldn't do while I'm home, like eating dinner around 7 p.m., which is usually my bedtime, staying up until 11 p.m. or later, which is like in the middle of my normal sleep cycle, skipping hikes due to weather and tiredness, which is not something I've been really doing this whole year stuff like that. The key for me this whole trip was to be extremely flexible. And as you'll hear later on, that really helped me out. You might be wondering, why on earth did you go on a 12-day road trip by yourself? That's the question I've been getting the most when I tell people how I spent the first half of April. The Life Coach School, which is the school I got my life coaching certification through, held its annual mastermind in Austin, Texas this year. I haven't been on an airplane since like a week before COVID really hit in 2020, so wasn't exactly keen on getting on a plane again. And when I looked at the driving route to and from Austin, I realized that I know a bunch of people who live on the way there or back. So because I decided to drive, I got to see my godparents twice. That's my aunt and uncle in Wyoming. I got to see multiple people who I work with in my full-time job. I saw a client, a cousin, a former pastor and his wife, and I met a fellow coach who wasn't at Mastermind. I also went by myself for a few reasons. The first of which is I wanted to. Uh, The second one is my husband wasn't interested in going. We didn't want to board our cat for long stretches twice in two months since we have another trip at the end of May. 
I can drive better when I listen to podcasts or music at my volume and speed. My husband and I have very different hearing sensitivities. So if I played what I want to listen to while he was in the car, he would be very uncomfortable. I'm also really confident in my ability to manage my blood sugars and my energy patterns. This was actually the first multi-day road trip I've done by myself, and I really enjoyed it. I had such a good time that I'm hoping the Life Coach School hosts Mastermind in Austin next year too, because I would love to drive down again. So shout out Life Coach School if you're listening, (laughs) please host Mastermind in Austin again. Now I'm going to share my average daily blood sugars with time and range percent. So please remember that, that my range is 80 to 140. So when I'm out of range, high means anything that's above 140. And this isn't what most type 1 diabetics have as their range, since the default for range calculations is 70 to 180. I have a very tight range because that's what works for me. I got all of my time and range calculations and peak low and high blood sugar values from Tidepool, which gives a great breakdown of data once you upload your devices. Okay, so the first day was April 2nd. Coincidentally, that was my birthday. I brought some prepared food with me when I started out and several low-carb snacks that I bought ahead of time. I started out with Bulletproof Coffee, which actually held me a very long time on the first day. I had chaffles, moon cheese, uh, pistachios, some low-carb granola along for the ride. So by the time I reached the first stop in Casper, Wyoming, I was doing pretty well, as evidenced by my double unicorn which was from about 6.45 p.m. the night before to 6.45 that evening. And like I mentioned earlier, though, I forgot to give insulin for dinner, mostly because I just don't usually eat dinner. And I went high. Uh, I peaked at 195, and then I overcorrected and crashed that night down to uh, 43. My average number that day was 111, and my actual time and range from midnight to midnight was 86%, with 7% high and 7% low. Day two, I left around 7.30 in the morning after breakfast with my godparents, and I kept my driving snacking to a minimum since I was meeting a a colleague in Denver for lunch. I bolused a little aggressively for the rise that I got from breakfast, and I ended up needing a Smarties roll before we even sat down to eat in Denver. After lunch, I continued down to Pueblo, Colorado, and I intended to go on a hike after settling into the hotel but when I got there, my number trend was heading downward. It was it was also raining and uh, windy, and I just I didn't want to drive another 20-plus minutes to a trailhead to go on a hike in that kind of weather. So I consciously decided to skip it, and I stayed in my hotel room. I actually thought I might be able to go on a hike or a longer walk at my next stop. That's part of That was part of my decision. I did crash again that night down to 49, so I'm actually glad I didn't go on that hike because that might have been a lot worse. My average number that day was 112, with time and range of 67%, with 17% high and 16% low. Day 3, April 4th, uh, was actually the most boring stretch of driving ever. From Raton, New Mexico to Wichita Falls, Texas, was the flattest drive of my life. <laughs> I was really glad to have pre-downloaded podcast episodes and live coaching replays from the programs that I'm in, because it really helped keep me alert through the flat nothingness of West Texas. I also must have forgotten about the time change from Mountain to Central the previous night, because I arrived right around 5pm with a thunderstorm on my heels, and that combo platter had me staying in the hotel again 
instead of going out for a walk or a hike. And there was lightning and thunder involved. So yeah, it was also pouring rain and uh, Texas flooding the streets, which was not great for any kind of hiking or walking. So good decision not to do that. I didn't go low on day three. My average number was 122. My time and range was 78% and uh, 22% was high. My peak high blood sugar was only 165. Day four, April 5th, I actually spent working from the main office of my full-time job in Wichita Falls. I got to meet colleagues in person, have lunch at a Texas barbecue restaurant, and I got caught up on some emails. That day was also kind of weird weather-wise because it was like 93 degrees as the peak. And when I had packed, I was like, I don't think it's going to get that hot. But it did indeed get that hot. So went from air-conditioned office to air-conditioned car to air-conditioned hotel. That seems to be a pattern when it gets gets hot weather for me. My numbers this day were a little weird since I started noticing a trend of going much higher than usual between 6 and 9 a.m., regardless of what I had for breakfast. My highest number was actually 190, and after lunch, my sensor kind of went a little weird. My average number, though, was 123, time and range 68%, with 26% high and 7% low. On day 5, which was April 6th, I drove from Wichita Falls to Dallas, Texas, and that was to visit a client for breakfast, and then I finished the drive to Austin. My numbers were much better this day, averaging 111 with 90% in range, 6% high and 4% low, with the peak high blood sugar at 186. And I'm pretty sure that peak high was partially from adrenaline of being in line to register for Mastermind and meeting in person. The people I've seen on Zoom for the past two years, they turned into 3D people. It was pretty cool. I went to bed pretty late for me around 9.30 p.m., but I thankfully had a pretty stable night. I didn't actually drive much while I was in Austin except to pick up a fellow coach from the train station. Otherwise, my car was safely parked in a gated area belonging to the Airbnb that we stayed at, and we actually walked from the Airbnb to the hotel where, where Mastermind was held. I walked a lot around downtown Austin, and I'm pretty happy with my numbers for it. Day 6, April 7th, was the first day of Mastermind. I was pretty even this day, even though my time and range was 83%. The 15% high and 2% low did not go very far outside the lines. I went a little high after breakfast and after lunch, but the walking around really helped bring it down. My average that day was 115. Day 7, April 8th, was the second and the last day of Mastermind. It was only pretty much like one and a half days. So the the Thursday was a full day and then Friday was a half day. I went a little high around lunch and dinner, but both times it came down pretty steadily. I had a morning low too. The lunchtime high came from eating a bag of snacks that I brought with me and didn't bolus for. I started eating them when my number was around 80 and it went up to the 160s by the time Mastermind ended at 1 p.m. And we left to have lunch at a taco place. That afternoon and evening, My group walked around the Colorado River to Rainy Street in Austin, where three other coaches and myself had dinner at the food trucks. I decided to have a piece of baklava with my shawarma salad, and I gave 1.4 units for it since we still had a walk back to the hotel, and it it probably would have been like a 20-minute walk. I peaked at 183 from the baklava, which I'm counting as a win because if I hadn't bolused at all... I would have gone right into the 250s from it, and that's speaking from past experience. 
My average number that day was 120, and the time and range was 79%, with 18% high and 3% low. This was my last night in Austin, and I ended up staying up super late until around 11 p.m., just talking with my peers and really debriefing from everything we learned at Mastermind. After that, it was time to start the last part of the trip going home. Uh, Day 8 was April 9th, and I actually had a sensor change that day. So I didn't have any data from 6.30 a.m. to 8.30 a.m., and I actually drove up to Oklahoma this day to stay with my cousin. I went high after we had dinner out, peaking at 212, but we went on a walk around her neighborhood to help bring it down. On the drive up to Oklahoma, I felt my voice just starting to go out. I I had talked and cheered just so much at Mastermind that I lost my voice. So that was fun. Uh, My average blood sugar that day was 122 with time and range 77%, 19% high and 4% low. Day nine, April 10th was the longest drive of the trip. Not the most boring, but the longest. And that was from Norman, Oklahoma to Colorado Springs, Colorado. This was also my worst day for blood sugars. I went high at breakfast, high at lunch, and very high after dinner, even though I thought I was treating everything correctly. I had dinner at a soup place in the springs, but I didn't finish most of the soup. It just tasted a little bit off, so I didn't eat it. I did have a piece of bread, though, that came with the soup and salad, but I bolused for it, and I walked to and from the restaurant. But my blood sugar peaked at 264 MGDL, and it took four hours to come down to my usual overnight numbers. I had planned to wander around uh, Garden of the Gods in the springs, which is a nice uh, like rock formation area, but the wind was so fierce, and I was pretty tired from the drive that just being that long, it was really, really long. <laughs> and my blood sugars didn't help either for wanting to go around the Garden of the Gods. So that was actually the second of the three hikes I wanted to do on the trip that I consciously decided to skip. My average blood sugar this day was 137, time and range 63% and 37% high. So no lows that day, but kind of counterbalanced by that insane high for me. I rarely get into the high 200s. It was not great. Day 10 was April 11th, and I drove from Colorado Springs to Casper, Wyoming with a stop in Fort Collins to have breakfast with an old pastor and also to pick up some Mammoth Creamery's ice cream from Whole Foods. I went high after breakfast despite bolusing, so that was in line with the pattern of highs after breakfast regardless of what I ate or bolused. And I actually overbolused a bit for dinner at my godparents, but it came up okay despite going a little high overnight. My average number that day was 116, time and range 71%, with 22% high and 7% low. Day 11, April 12th, was actually supposed to be my last day of driving. However, northern Wyoming and east Montana had a weather hissy fit, and we woke up to a few inches of snow in Casper. Not what I was expecting, and I did not have the right footwear for it. The roads north started getting bad pretty fast, and by the time that I left the Casey Wyoming rest stop, visibility was just close to zero. I actually stopped in Sheridan to pee, (laughs) and uh, by this point, visibility was pretty much zero, so I was kind of like an old grandma hunched over my steering wheel just peering out the, the windshield because I could not see anything. When I stopped in Sheridan, I heard that the interstate on ramp south was closed. I was going north, 
by the time that I'd actually gotten there, like I said, visibility was zero. And I decided to check into a hotel at 10 in the morning. I later found out that the interstate had also been closed at the next town north. So I wouldn't have even been able to keep going. They would have made me turn around and stop in Sheridan anyway. My blood sugars did go high post-breakfast again, but they were pretty good the rest of the day. Average blood sugar was 118, time and range 81%, high 14%, and low 5%. Day 12, which was my extra bonus day, April 13th, uh, the day that I actually got to drive home, I went from Sheridan, Wyoming, home to Missoula. From Sheridan to Bozeman, though, the roads were still really, really bad. But I could see, and that was the good part. I actually had breakfast in Sheridan with a coach who I only met because I made a Facebook post that I was stuck and she offered to get breakfast with me. So that was really cool. I did go high after breakfast again, peaking at 172. And then I went high later in the drive as I got closer to home and had some trail mix that I just didn't bolus correctly for, despite thinking I did. That one peaked at 178 and then unloading and unpacking brought me to an extended low from around 4.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. Average blood sugar was 118, time in range 62%, high 24%, and low 14%. So how I managed food. Overall, my food management was, like I said, I decided ahead of time not to get really worried about what I was going to eat, nor what my blood sugars would do in response to what and when I ate. Making that decision ahead of time made it so much easier to handle the physical symptoms without layering any emotional judgment on top of it. For my blood sugar management, my overall average number for the entire trip was 119, which is pretty good. Time in range was 75%, with 19% high and 6% low. And again, remember, my range is 80 to 140. So 75% of the time, I was in between those lines, and I really liked that. Despite those big swings at sometimes, like I said, I really like that, that percentage for this duration. I did my best not to overbolus, but I also wasn't mad at myself if I did. I only had a couple nights with pretty low crashes. I think it was those first two, but I sleep with smarty rolls besides the bed, so I wasn't worried. I also always wake up for lows, which helps with both my confidence and probably my husband's comfort while I'm off by myself. For the supplies that I brought, I brought an entire box of sets and reservoirs, an entire box of sensors and four vials of insulin with me, plus all of the other stuff that you have to bring with you for stuff like this. I'm really glad because I got stuck in Sheridan for a night, and it had the potential to be two nights. Overpacking on my diabetes supplies is definitely something that helped me be comfortable extending the trip an extra day. I changed my set the morning that I left, three times while on the trip, and then one again when I got home that night. And I also changed my sensor once on the morning that I left Austin. I also don't think I had to calibrate my sensor at all, which was really nice. As for driving alone and just all of the other stuff that's involved with that, I'm going to start off with my sleep quality. So I wear an Aura ring, which tracks uh, both sleep quality and overall readiness for each day. And I noticed that it declined throughout the trip. I had headaches toward the last half, and I used painkillers in the morning to help with it. That much driving, especially solo, did take a toll on my body, but I totally count it worth it. I also strategically turned off listening to podcasts so the headaches didn't get worse, but I could still stay awake and alert to drive. 
I ended up going to bed uh, really early the last half of the trip and getting a lot of sleep really helped my preparedness for the last several days of driving. Another important factor for this whole trip was staying hydrated. I drank at least 90 ounces a day on the driving portions and did not miss opportunities to stop at rest stops or gas station to go pee when I needed to. My mom always says, never pass up an opportunity to go to the bathroom. And that is never more true than going on a 4,000 mile road trip by yourself. And the last thing that really helped me during the trip is keeping the law of small numbers in mind. This is a concept I first learned about in Dr. Bernstein's book, The Diabetes Solution. It says that small corrections result in small changes, and big corrections result in big changes. That's why when we rage bolus, we get big crashes. Keeping corrections and carbs low helped keep my overall blood sugars and blood sugar changes small. The law of small numbers also applied to driving home from Sheridan to Missoula because the roads were icy and slick for over half the drive. Like I said, it was like zero visibility. The whole reason I got stuck in Sheridan was because of a hissy fit snowstorm. It was insane. But for that drive back from Sheridan to Missoula, between Sheridan and Bozeman, actually, the roads were still pretty bad. I changed lanes very, very slowly. I kept my speed slow enough that if I needed to brake, it wouldn't result in a skid. And that saved my butt when I watched a truck towing a travel trailer spin out right in front of me between Billings and Bozeman. I was able to slow down slow enough that I didn't skid, even though the ABS engaged because I was on the snow. And the truck didn't flip, so that was good. But I did have a little bit of adrenaline from experiencing that. But the law of small numbers applied in that situation, and it helped me stay in control when I needed to on the road. I really enjoyed this solo road trip, and I'm excited to do it again next year. I actually recorded myself talking about what worked, what didn't, and what to do differently while on the road so I don't lose those lessons. And now I have something to listen back to next year to figure out how I want to plan the next solo road trip. My question for you this week is, have you ever done a solo road trip before? I would love to hear about your experiences with road trips, both solo and with others. Like, how do you manage your diabetes on these things? That is it for this episode of This is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 142. That's the number 142. Apply to be a guest by visiting thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. If you've always wanted to do something like this that requires a lot of self-confidence and trust in your ability to manage your blood sugars without getting upset with the circumstances, I'm inviting you to send me a message about working together. Everything I use to stay confident and in control despite the swings on this trip are things that I teach my clients. I'm on all social media as at Inspired Forward, and our email is colleen at inspiredforward.com. Our podcast Instagram is at this is type one pod with the number one. And Jesse is on Instagram at JJ underscore crystal K A T. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to listen next week for another episode about real life with type one diabetes. Remember you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. 
Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.